receive this reading from the chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, let's now pray together. Loving and great God, we thank you for the beauty of this day. Us in your grace and in the breath of spirit. Help us now, O oh God, to bring our focus to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts honor you and glorify you. For you, O oh God, are our rock. Amen. I think it was about this time last year when I heard these words come out of my mouth. I feel like living my life, but rather that my life is living me. I don't know if maybe some of you, I wonder if you feel any resonance with that. Are you living your life or is your life living you? The way I describe that for me is when I start to feel like a slave to my calendar or to-do list or deadlines. At this time last year, I was feeling like the issues I was having with some illness in my body was causing all sorts of strangeness. When I, I, it's those moments when I struggle to remember, perhaps, that I have agency and can make decisions about my focus and my time. Or maybe when the realities of life really are that I just have to keep pushing to do whatever the next thing is that just has to get done. For a variety of reasons, we get pulled this way and that, like a puppet on a string. And we can begin to feel bound and boxed in. Our focus starts to become perhaps frenetic, jumping from this thing to that. Like a bug skimming the surface of an ocean of tasks and images and thoughts, struggling to engage anything with real depth. Studies have analyzed our increasingly short attention spans and our difficulty maintaining focus. One big factor, they found, is the sheer volume of information that we receive in any given day. Using an 85-page newspaper as the measure, it has been shown that in 1986, the average human being receiving through TV, radio, and reading about 40 newspapers worth of information a day. By 2007, with the proliferation of online technology, that number had risen to the equivalent of 174 newspapers, a number that has most certainly risen in the time since they did the study. 
systems are, as it says in Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. But, but, we are not wired to manage that much information, 174 newspapers worth of information every day, and probably a lot more than that. We are simply not wired to manage that much information with the kind of speed that it's hitting us. It makes everything feel like it's just speeding up and like we're drinking from a fire hose. We are, according to one researcher, collectively experiencing, quote, a more rapid exhaustion of attention resources. I would simply say it's no wonder we're all exhausted. A few months ago, I was introduced to a book entitled Stolen Focus by journalist Johan Hart, who set out to understand through data and research the attention and focus problem. Why are we so distracted and why does it matter? Hari spends much of the book outlining his findings of our increasing difficulty to focus, some of which I'll explore over the next couple of weeks. And Hari offers three primary reasons that this topic is important. First, he writes this, quote, a life full of distractions is, at an individual level, diminished. When you are unable to pay attention, sustained attention, you can't do things you want to achieve. Through no fault of your own, there never seems to be enough stillness, enough cool, clear space for you to stop and think. One that if you are focusing on something and you get interrupted, now we could come up with a list of interruptions, that might happen. For me, when I'm trying to focus on something, what is usually sitting right beside me? It might as well be attached to my arm, my phone. So if I'm trying to focus on something and I get interrupted, or if anybody does, uh, here's, here's what, we, what we know from what the studies say. On average, interrupted, it will take 23 minutes for you to get back to the same state of focus. And if this goes on for months and years, it scrambles your ability, who you are and what you want. You start to become lost in your life." End quote. The second reason that it's wise to think about this subject is that, quote, this fracturing isn't just causing problems for us as individuals, it's causing crises in our whole society. As a species, we are facing a slew of unprecedented trapdoors like the climate crisis, and unlike previous generations, we are mostly not rising to solve our biggest challenges. Part of the reason is that when breaks down, problem-solving breaks down. Solving big problems requires the sustained focus of many people over many years. Democracy 
the ability of a population to pay attention long enough to identify real problems, distinguish them from fantasies, come up with solutions, leaders accountable if they fail to deliver them. A world full of attention-deprived citizens alternating between what was formerly called Twitter and Snapchat will be cascading crises where we can't get a handle on any of them. End quote. I really want to go on a sidebar about how things on social media, people get all focused on something for about five minutes and then move on to the next thing. But I'm going to not do that. Okay. And the last, the last reason to think deeply about focus is that if we understand what's happening, we can begin to change it. As James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. One of the persons that Hari interviewed is a man named Tristan Harris, a former Google engineer who you might have seen in the Netflix commentary, The Social Dilemma. Tristan was fascinated as a child and learned at a magic summer camp that the job of the magician is at heart to manipulate your focus. That coin didn't really vanish. Attention was somewhere else when the magician moved it. So when your focus comes back to the original spot, you're amazed. Tristan also learned that a person's susceptibility to magic has nothing to do with their intelligence. Magic, rather, is really the study of the limits of the human mind. You think you control your attention. You think that if something with it, you will know. And you'll be able to spot and to resist it right away. But in reality, that is not the case. Tristan learned from one of the best magicians in the world that it is possible to manipulate your attention and mine, uh, to manipulate your attention to such a degree that a magician can, in many cases, turn you into their puppet. They can make whatever they want you to choose, while all along you think you're simply using your own free will. It's a little creepy. Tristan's path didn't lead to a career in magic, but rather he studied something called persuasive technologies in college. And then he created an app that got bought and then he got carried into a whole other world. Now, Tristan was committed to using technology for good purposes, to serve the common good. But he quickly began to worry about what he industry in which he worked. In the same way that magicians manipulate people's attention, so too those who were designing technologies were manipulating people's attention. 
any tool, the powers of technology can be used for good or for ill. The business model of all the big tech companies as much engagement, that is, minutes and hours of eyeballs on the product as possible. The longer you make people look at their phones, the more what they see. Yep, you can say it, we all know it. Ads, advertisement. The longer you look at the phone, the more advertising you see, and therefore, then what happens? The more money the company makes. This is the model. And this is the primary point. Trist, uh, Hari writes this, the people in Silicon Valley did not want to design gadgets and websites that would dissolve people's attention spans. They're not the joker, chaos, and make us dumb. They spend a lot of their own time meditating and doing yoga. They often ban their own kids from using the sites and gadgets that they and then send them instead to tech-free Montessori schools that they can afford, of course, because they're making all their money off making everybody else dumb. It works. But their business model, you see, can only succeed if they take steps to dominate the attention spans of the wider society. At one talk, Tristan quote, I want you to imagine walking into a control room with a hundred people hunched over a desk with little dials, and that control room will shape the thoughts and the feelings of a billion people. He said, this might sound like science fiction, but this actually exists right now, today. I know, because I used to work in one of those control rooms. eventually picked up the mantle of a prophet, and he left his job and advocated for changes and continues to advocate for changes in the industry, and in particular in the company he worked for. Before he named his concern that technology was making the world more distracted, deteriorating people's ability to focus and to think clearly and was destroying our kids' ability to focus. Some of you, I trust, have seen the article about the lawsuit that's being brought against Meta by 41 states and the District of Columbia, claiming that the company, quote, children's pain by intentionally designing its platforms with manipulative features that make children addicted to their platforms while lowering their self-esteem. Mercy. There are even more disturbing ways that these companies manipulate people online. There's a thing called surveillance capitalism, which online activity and, by the way, your in-person conversations so closely that it is possible, like a malign magician, to manipulate or anticipate what you will click on next. They can literally get you to do what they 
You're making your own choice. Creepy. And there are algorithms designed to use your profile to present to you what will keep you looking at your screen. And oh, by the way, what do you think the average person will focus on longer? I'm going to give you two choices. Something positive and calm, or something negative and outrageous. That's an easy one. Yeah. It's a well-known quirk of human behavior. Evidently, words such as hates, obliterates, slams, are some of the best words to use if you want whatever you're doing online to get picked up by the algorithm. And according to a major study at NYU, quote, for every word of moral outrage that you add to a called a tweet, your repost rate will go up by 20% on average. And the words that will increase your rate most are attack, bad, and blame. So an algorithm that prioritizes keeping you glued to the screen will unintentionally but inevitably prioritize outrage and angering you. Now, I'm taking my time to lay these things out for us today, because this is a justice issue. issue. And it's a health issue. And I am not, by the way, suggesting that technology and online apps are all bad, or that they have no positive use. I want to Double, uh, hear me say that. Did everybody hear me say that? I am not suggesting that all technology is bad and that apps and online stuff, it cannot be used for good things. That is not what I'm saying. But I am convinced that the largest purveyors of online tools and apps are pushing drug-like hits of whatever they've learned will respond to and thereby messing with health, our capacity to think in healthy ways, and the quality of our human relationships. It's like when the big tobacco companies knew, we know, they knew all along cigarettes were killing people, but carried on with their ad plan of making smoking cool or elegant or rebellious or whatever it was that was going to make people want to buy cigarettes and keep smoking. Those designing the online products things are doing not only to our brains and our capacity to focus and our children, but also the things that they are doing to the fabric of our society. If people are spending enough of angered, that starts to change the culture. It turns hate into a habit. The fake news sources know well that anger and outrage are what get the most attention. They know how to get picked up by the algorithm and to go viral. And we've seen in tragic ways how that fuels violence and hatred that land upon real human bodies.
sharing this today because it affects all of us in one way or another, whether you spend any time at all online or on social media. The effects of all of this in, in, encompass our culture, affects one of us. And while it may feel that we are doomed to be held captive by the actions and repercussions of the tech industry, that is not the case. I'm going to share a little more about some ways that we might resist in the next couple of weeks. But today, I just want to turn for a moment to the letter to the Galatians where Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, Submit again to a yoke of slavery. The issue Paul was addressing was not enslavement to checking our online feeds, <laughs> but rather the requirement of male circumcision, just a slight text. <laughs> There were evidently those among the Galatians tempting them to surrender the freedom that they had gained through faith in Christ and to turn to the belief that it was up to them to earn their salvation through circumcision and following the Jewish law to a T. This conflict stirred confusion and anger and all sorts of bad blood in the community. Paul insists that in Christ, the sense of your faith is not getting circumcised, but rather loving your neighbor. Faith is loving your neighbor. That's how people know your faith. Paul writes a little later in chapter five, for you were freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in Christ, we are set free from anything that would turn our focus away from loving neighbor as ourselves. The magicians pulling their levers and our buttons want to manipulate us and distract us to increase their bottom line. Their work, intentionally or not, draws our focus away from the things that matter most and stirs conflict and division and confusion and depression. God, on the other hand, sets us free from the things that try to steal or our lives and gives us grace to increase what? Love in our lives and in the world. We are called to resist mindless capitulation to the powers of this world and be thoughtful in our engagement, careful in our words, and good stewards of our time. I'm not saying that to be We have to give up sharing photos and celebrations and prayer concerns and funny memes and reels on social media. I'm simply reminding us that there are forces and other online spaces that truly desire to consume our time and to manipulate our focus. Their tactics are tricky and manipulative and addictive 
but for freedom, Christ has set us free. And there is, friends, no one in heaven or on earth stronger than Christ, who with a word to cease and the waves to lie down, who disarmed his opponents and their coded messages with wisdom and power. There's no one sitting in any control room anywhere that has more power than Christ. An advocate who is always there to help us stand firm and not submit to any yoke of bondage. We have a God who never controls or coerces us but rather graces us with free will. Have free will. No one can take that away from us. It is a gift to us from God, and it is up to us to use that. We have the responsibility to use our free will to make love real in the world. So be encouraged and be thoughtful. And most of all, be loving with yourself and with your neighbor because love's power is far greater than magical manipulation. Thanks be to God. Amen.